In Moses' final speech to the people of Israel, before Joshua, his successor, would lead them in taking possession of the promised land, Moses laid out for them a list, two lists really, a list of all the blessings that God would bring to the people if they would keep covenant with him, followed by a list, really an even lengthier list, of curses that would come upon them if they did not keep covenant. And he summarized this speech in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, when he said, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. That was an important moment in the life of the nation of Israel, the people of God in the Old Covenant. And that is essentially what Paul does in Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. Paul sets before his readers two ways of life and their striking contrast with one another. The way of freedom and the way of slavery. The way he does this is by pulling up a well-known story about Abraham, the father of uh, the Jewish people, and projecting from it a sort of analogy for the way that law and faith contrast with each other, a life in slavery or a life of freedom. Let me read for you verses 21 through 31 of Galatians chapter 4, and we'll walk through these verses together. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman." This is an interesting passage that requires a little bit of Old Testament background, a little bit of knowledge of a story. So we'll walk through that in just a moment. But here's the main idea. Let me give you the main idea up front, and you can fill it in as we go. It's this contrast, two ways of life. The first one is spiritual slavery. Spiritual slavery is expecting to earn God's blessing through human effort. Expecting to earn God's blessing through human effort. That is spiritual slavery. Spiritual freedom, on the other hand, is receiving God's blessing 
by simple faith. Receiving God's blessing by simple faith. Those are the two umbrellas under which we'll organize our passage today. The first thing we got to do is walk through this story, right? So under the banner of spiritual slavery, depending on human effort, he introduces the story of Abraham and Hagar. So this story is told back in Genesis chapter 16 through 21. The first thing he says is, you who desire to be under the law, do you listen to the law? There's a bit of a play on words here. Because when he says you desire to be under the law, he's referring, as he has throughout this letter, to the Mosaic law, to the code that God had given to Israel to order their life around the worship of God. So he says, to you who desire to be under the law, do you listen to the law? And here he uses the law in a broader way to speak of the Torah. That is the first five books of the Hebrew scriptures, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And, and so... He says, you who listen to the, or want to be under the law, that is the legal code that came through Moses, do you even pay attention to the law, that is the context of the scriptures in which that code came? Basically, you say you're people of the law, but the law you claim to follow actually undermines your entire system. That's, so he's beginning with this sort of pointed rhetoric, saying I'm coming after the false teachers here and those in Galatia who are inclined to believe them. You who desire to be under the law. All right, you want to be under the law? Let's talk about what the law says. Let's look at the scriptures in which that law is given. And so he demonstrates this uh, undermining of their system by pointing to the story of Isaac and Ishmael. Now, if you back up to Genesis 12, God had made a promise to Abraham, this nobody, that he would make of him a great nation. He promised that he would give him a son. And his wife, Sarah, had not had any children. They had not been able to conceive, not been able to have children. And God says, I will give to you a son. And Abraham and Sarah, of course, are a little bit confused. How is this going to be? Because we're not able to have children. And God says, don't worry, right? I will visit you. You will have a son. And so he promises a son will be born. And from him, a nation of people will come about. And indeed, through Abraham, through that line, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And so he sends him to a land. He says, go to a land that I will show you, and I will bless you and make your name great and make a nation of you. So Abraham takes his family, and he goes to uh, this land. And now he's been in the land about 10 years, and there's still no son. So you can understand Abraham's impatience. And indeed, Sarah's impatience, because she's been told you're going to bear a child. And she's like, well, when is this happening? It's been about 10 years, haven't seen it yet. And so Sarah actually comes up with an idea. She says to Abraham, you know, I have this maidservant named Hagar. She's young and attractive and fertile. Why don't you, Abraham, go and spend some adult time with her and you can have a son perhaps through Hagar. And that's maybe how God will answer the promise. It's easy to point fingers at her. I think she's probably thinking maybe this is what God wants, right? God said he'd give us a son. It hasn't happened yet. Maybe he's waiting on us. Maybe he needs us to take some action and take some control and do what we can do. And Abraham, rather than saying, no, Sarah, let's trust God and wait on his timing, Abraham says, sounds good to me. And so rather than waiting on God in faith to provide the promised son, 
he decides to attain a son in a way that he can control, right? He attempts to receive God's blessing by human means. That's essentially what Abraham and Sarah have done in this plan with Hagar. So Abraham and Hagar, the maidservant, the slave woman, indeed conceive a son. And he is born to Hagar. His name is Ishmael. Ishmael is the result of that plan of obtaining God's blessing by human means. And that is why Ishmael, the son born by flesh, born by human effort, is an analogy to salvation by law. That is, seeking to attain God's blessing through human effort. Now, we need to note that God still blessed Ishmael and made a nation of him. The Arab peoples come from uh, Ishmael, and we're told that he is uh, Mount Sinai in Arabia, right? And so the the, the Arab peoples will come through Ishmael, and he will indeed be a, a, a nation. So two nations come from Abraham. But it is Isaac's line through whom salvation would eventually come in the birth of Abraham's seed, Jesus Christ. So Ishmael was not the son of promise because he was the son conceived by man's plans and efforts, right? So this was human effort attempting to obtain God's blessing by their own control. So Ishmael will not be the son through whom the line of God's promise goes. No, it will be through Isaac, who will be born some 14 years later to Sarah in her old age. Because Isaac is the son that God had promised Abraham, rather than the son that Abraham had attained by his own effort, namely Ishmael. Tim Keller summarizes poignantly, Although God looked after Hagar and Ishmael, he never directed his promises through this son of Abraham. Abraham's bid for self-salvation failed. That's essentially what he was trying to do. He's trying to take matters into his own hands and, and obtain his own salvation. God promised this thing. He hasn't brought it about. I will help him out. He doesn't need your help, Abraham. Well, with that story in view, Paul lays out a series of contrasts between law and faith. I want you to notice in verse 24, he says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. He does not mean that those events didn't actually happen historically in real life. They were just a spiritual metaphor. What he's saying is these real historical events bear a resemblance to a pattern, a spiritual truth that we can see. And so he uses the story, the real historical story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac to illustrate the the ways that law and faith work against one another. And so you see this whole series of contrasts. There's a contrast between the slave woman and the free woman, all right? Hagar, the slave woman, the maidservant, and Sarah, the free woman. We see the son of the slave woman, that's Ishmael, and the son of the free woman, that's Isaac. He's actually not named in these verses, but we know that's who the son of Sarah is. We see the son born according to flesh and the son born through promise, 
course, they're both born according to flesh in the sense of the regular biology of things. But Ishmael was born according to the flesh in that it was Abraham's attempt to obtain God's blessing by his own effort. And Isaac is the son who was born not by any human effort whatsoever, but simply because they received God's blessing in his time and in his way. We see a contrast between the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, that is the one represented by Mount Sinai in Arabia. Sinai is where the law was first given through Moses. And so there's that covenant of law of Mount Sinai, and then there's at least implicitly a new covenant on a different mountain, namely the mountain of Zion. That's where Jerusalem is located. We see a contrast between the present Jerusalem and the heavenly Jerusalem. He says in verse 25, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. What does that mean? It means they're under the law. They're still trying to obtain God's blessing by their own efforts. And so Hagar, Ishmael, Mount Sinai represent this covenant that's passed away, that's been done away with, that's been made obsolete by a new and better covenant, but they're still living under it. They're still trying to obtain God's blessing by their own efforts. And so on the opposite side of that is this new covenant, verse 26, the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. So there's a heavenly Jerusalem, if you will. There's a completion to this where uh, the, the promises of God are made complete through the seed of Abraham, through the line of Isaac, because of promise. And then there's a contrast between the children of the slave woman and the children of the free woman. And his conclusion to this whole thing down in verse 31 is this, so brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So that's our identity who are trusting in Christ, children of the free woman, children of Sarah from the line of Isaac. Why does that matter? Because that's the line that depended on faith. That's the line that depended on receiving God's promise in his time and in his way. So spiritual slavery then is depending on human effort in order to obtain God's blessing. And that's exactly what the false teachers in Galatia are doing. These false teachers boast of their status as children of Abraham and insist on Gentile converts aligning themselves with Jewish life and custom as well. We are children of Abraham. Even though you're not, you need to become as though you are and start living under the law, living under these codes. But Paul pushes back on these false teachers with biting rhetoric. In verse 29, he says, just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. A little bit more background context for this. In Genesis 21, on the day when Isaac was weaned, so he's old enough now to be feeding on his own, it's, we're told that Sarah sees Hagar and Ishmael laughing, probably in mockery. And Ishmael by this time was a teenager, 14 or 15 years old. And so she sees them laughing, probably perhaps deriding Isaac as the chosen one or whatever. 
And in response, she tells Abraham, send them away. She's angry, she's bitter, she's jealous. So she says, send them away. The son of the slave woman will not inherit with my son. That is Sarah speaking. You can see that quotation in verse 30 when he says, what does the scripture say? And then he actually quotes with a little bit of of adjustment Sarah's words. Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. And so Abraham does. He casts her out, and they leave the camp. And so we have Hagar and Ishmael persecuting, to use the language here, uh, Isaac and Sarah and the, the, the line of promise, the law persecuting the promise, right? And that pattern of Ishmael persecuting Isaac is still happening in the false teacher's attempt to enslave the Galatian Christians to observance of the law. So where he says, just as uh, he was born according to flesh, that is Ishmael persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, that is Isaac, so also it is now. So he is identifying the false teachers in Galatia with Ishmael and that line, the line of flesh, the line of slavery, the line of human effort. He's identifying them with that line and saying that they are attacking, are persecuting, are imposing their way onto the people of promise, the people of faith. He is saying, in effect, they are indeed sons of Abraham, but they've aligned themselves with the wrong son, the wrong line. Rather than the true children of the promise, they are slaves to Mount Sinai, where the law was given through Moses. Physical descendants of Abraham who nevertheless remain outside the people of God because they've chosen to rely on their own ability to justify themselves by keeping the law. That is spiritual slavery. Thinking we can obtain the blessing of God by our own effort. To think that God needs our help in achieving our salvation. Yes, God's extended grace to us in Christ, but I'm going to add a little bit to that. I'm going to come alongside and do some good deeds and live according to law and, and beef that up a little bit. Increase my chances. And so it is with all human beings, whether physically descended from Abraham or not. Any person who relies on his own ability to keep the law as the pathway to God's blessing is choosing slavery to the law and its curse. Remember, the curse of the law is if you don't obey the whole thing, you die. The one who is free is the one who receives God's promised blessing to Abraham through simple faith in Abraham's seed, Jesus Christ. Paul already established back in chapter 3 that the seed to whom God had promised Abraham's blessing was Christ himself. Chapter 3, verse 16. He said he was referring not to many seeds, but to one seed, namely Christ. And that those who trust in Christ thereby become the recipients of all those covenant blessings. Chapter 3, verse 29. 
So Christ was the seed to whom the promises of Abraham were made, and all those who are in Christ by faith thereby receive the blessing of Abraham. So those who try to earn God's blessing by their keeping of the law are really children of the slave woman, Hagar. Like Ishmael, they are born into slavery and are cast away from God's people. That is where self-salvation programs lead. They do not connect you to God. They do not connect you to his people. You are rejected. You are cast out because your human efforts add nothing to God's grace. It is those who give up their program of salvation by law-keeping and simply trust in God's provision in Christ who show themselves to be children of the free woman. Like Isaac, they belong among God's people because of his gracious working, not their effort. Isaac did not come by human effort. He came because they simply received God's blessing. What are you relying on for your standing with God? How is it that you expect to receive God's blessing and favor? Is it possible that while you say the right things, while you confess faith in Christ, you're still carrying around the shackles of slavery because you believe that your performance, your obedience, your efforts will either earn for you God's blessing or remove from you God's blessing if you fail to measure up. This is spiritual slavery, expecting to receive God's blessings through human effort. Or the flip side of that, expecting that God's blessings will be lost to you because of your failure. That is what spiritual slavery is. That is life under the law. But that's not what we want. That's not who we are in Christ. That is one way of life that Paul has set before us. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. That's curse. That's death. You don't want spiritual slavery. What we want is spiritual freedom. And in contrast to the spiritual slavery that depends on human effort, spiritual freedom is receiving by simple faith. It is a passive receiving. I don't go and get God's blessing. I open my hands and he pours it in. That is how grace works. How did God fulfill his promise to Abraham? By miraculously opening Sarah's womb and providing them with a son, Isaac. What did Abraham do in order to obtain that blessing? He waited like another 14 or 15 years after Ishmael was born. He waited and God acted. That's grace. That's the economy of the gospel. We don't act, we wait, we receive. God acts, God gives, God blesses. We simply stand in its goodness. We simply stand under the shower of God's kindness and mercy. Now here's a hard truth for us to hear. Sometimes faith in God looks like waiting on him. 
Sometimes faith calls us not to act, but to rest and to trust that God will bring about his good purposes in his own time and way. Sometimes it's way longer than you think is reasonable. Some of you are waiting right now. Waiting for healing, for comfort, for provision, for wisdom, for the salvation of a loved one. May the Lord's gracious provision to Abraham in his old age be a reminder to you of his gracious, purposeful presence in your own life now. Don't lose hope. Don't give up on God. He will answer. He will act in the right time and way. So we see the essence of this spiritual freedom, this receiving by simple faith in his quotation of Isaiah 54.1. In verse 27, he says, For it is written, so he's just spoken about all these contrasts. There's the slave woman and the free woman. There's the son of the slave and the son of the free. There's the covenant in Sinai, and there's the covenant in this new heavenly Jerusalem. The Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, verse 27, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. The context of this prophecy from Isaiah is the people of Israel during their Babylonian exile, some 1,200 years after Abraham. So they've been judged for their unfaithfulness to God and his covenant. They've been conquered by the Babylonians and taken into captivity. And now in their desolation, in their forsakenness, their sense that God has left us, he's abandoned us, we're no longer a people, we no longer have a home, we have no future. God, through Isaiah, grants this stunningly merciful, kind, hope-filled proclamation. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. And here, barrenness is a metaphor for their spiritual condition. They're broken, they're desolate, they're separated from God, they're not in their homeland. Rejoice, break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. They feel forsaken, they fear they'll never be a people again, but God promises them, I will return to you. I will restore you. Though you are barren now, empty and powerless, you will yet again receive grace from my hand, and you will be full and satisfied. This is grace. This is God pouring out blessing while the people waited. They did not do anything to earn it. And in this is the essence of the gospel and the nature of spiritual freedom. God promises his people that they will experience his blessing and provision through his gracious working on their behalf, in spite of their utter inability to save themselves. In their spiritual barrenness, they will conceive and grow and expand into a people yet again. Why? Because he will act on their behalf. What are they to do? Wait. 
and receive his blessing when it comes. And then, when they do receive it, rejoice. <laughs> Cry aloud. Praise God for the salvation he has delivered, for the mercy and grace he has bestowed. These are the two lives that he has set before us, the life of slavery, the life of freedom, the life of trying to earn your way into God's good graces through your own performance, through your own spiritual achievement, or the life of humbly trusting in the promises of God, of waiting on him to give and to deliver. And this is the invitation of the gospel. This is God's welcoming hand extended to you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the invitation that Christ extends to us. God provided salvation for Abraham by giving a promised son through a woman whose womb had never before carried a child. About 1,800 years later, God would send another promised son to bring salvation to his people. And that son would be born to another woman with no expectation to conceive. Not because she was barren, but because she was a virgin. And it is through that son, Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, that the shackles of our spiritual slavery would be broken once for all. And new and lasting life would be given. Given as a gift of grace to those who would simply believe. Friends, drop the religious act. Cancel the performance. Kill the self-salvation project. Quit trying to bring about God's blessing in your life through your own effort. Wait, trust, rest, receive. This is the economy of the gospel. Paul might say, I have set before you freedom and slavery. Therefore, Choose freedom that you may live. Let's pray together. God, we praise you for your abundant mercy in Christ. We praise you for your wisdom in establishing a system, a program of salvation that is utterly not dependent that disregards our condition, our abilities, our own inherent righteousness, and depends entirely upon the grace that you pour out in Christ. We thank you that this program of salvation that you have extended through faith in Christ removes all our ground of boasting. None of us can stand in your presence and say, look at the gospel with. Look how kind I have been. We all stand in your presence and point only to
to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in our place. And we plead mercy in his name. Lord, teach us day by day to walk not in slavery, not in the subtle mindset shift of trying to make ourselves a little more acceptable to you, a little more likable to you through our acts of obedience and religious observance. But teach us to rest wholly, truly, fully on the finished work of Jesus Christ in our place and who we are now because of him. Teach us to trust you. Teach us to walk in the freedom that Christ purchased for us that we might receive from your hand grace upon grace. For your glory and our good, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.